Let me just tell you a little bit about me so you know why I'm here and why would I do what I do. I live just north of Nashville, Tennessee. Um, my husband and I have eight children and six grandchildren. And in 1995, I was a patient in a mental hospital. So welcome to the afternoon so that's my story, and I hope you won't think I'm too flip about mental illness, but if you do, I would say, as I say every single week, that's my story, that's how I share it, and that's the story that brings me to you today. So welcome, friends, to Consider Yourself Hugged, Episode 7. Today's hug, Mommy and Me, Anger, Unforgiveness, and Bitterness. I am Dr. Tammy West and I'm here every week to bring you stories and tips on living a life that brings you mental and emotional well-being. You may have seen last week that I posted on Facebook about a guy on a motorcycle who seemed pretty angry with me for, I guess, maybe stopping too close behind him at a stoplight. You can read the details there. But it prompted me to talk to you today about anger, but then I just felt led to even go a little bit further than that. So I'm not here today to talk to you about moving past something that I've never experienced before and I just want to give you tips. I'm here to talk to you about getting past something that I have experienced and I want to encourage you that I did move past anger and unforgiveness and you know what? I'm not sure if I've ever said it before but I guess I did deal with bitterness too. I kind of thought I didn't but I think I, I think I did. So I've, I've told you a little bit about the mental hospital during the admission interview, a question was asked, have you recently hurt someone or something? The answer, from me, yes. Throws objects, breaks them, but not at a person. Question, is there a past history of that? Answer, from me, yes. And on the psychosocial evaluation where they just check things, under mood, angry was checked, hostile was checked. So that was me. What was I, what was I so angry about? Well, friends, today we have to back up a bit to discover that. And today's episode is going to be mainly story. And then I'll finish with a, a few strategies that will tie it all together. So bear with me. It is going to get deep. So buckle up, get your coffee, sit back. Here we go. First thing I want you to do before you listen to me is search in your mind and find the deepest, the darkest hurt that you've ever experienced. Maybe it's a broken relationship. Maybe it's a loss. Maybe it's a betrayal, a crushed dream, financial devastation. Um, I'm a big old upper today, aren't I? Just making you so happy. I'm sorry to be such a bummer, but I have to start with my mom and her deep hurt, which translated into my deep hurt. And while I'm doing that, I want you to process yours. It's the best way to do it. And I've written about my mom pretty often. So you may have seen, and I speak about her too. So you may have seen and heard some of it, maybe a lot of it. What I'm sharing today is sort of like a conglomeration of all these things. So here we go. Here's her story first, like her early story. My mom is a young girl. She already knew everything that she wanted in life. And that was two things, to be a wife and to be a mother. And she would always talk about wanting a, I mean, as an adult, I would hear her talk that she wanted a house full of kids, like eight or 10, which I did not understand, but that's what she wanted. She didn't want a career. That was it. But like many people... She had a dream, and her life did not go the way that she wanted. So she had my sister in 1963. She had me in 1964. She was on her way, right? One kid a year. And then strike one. The doctor said, you will never have another child. But you know, I'd like to say she hit perfection then, so why go further? Just kidding. My dad, 
was in the country music business and he traveled most of the time. So it was really mostly the three of us. And there's really, there's no need to give details. I don't feel comfortable with going too deep, but the marriage was not good. My sister and I saw lots of fighting. We saw some scary things. And eventually when I was 10, Tina was 11, my dad left. Now, when I share this story live, the word that I use to describe my mom is that she became a non-person. She had always struggled with mental illness, mostly depression. She had several what we used to call nervous breakdowns, but this time she like spiraled. She stopped taking care of herself. She stopped taking care of us, our home. She had been left with the life that she never wanted, right? I mean, she wanted us us girls, but she did not want to be a working mother raising two daughters by herself. She was angry, and that anger led to unforgiveness, and that unforgiveness led to bitterness. And when that bitterness set in and took root, we had an entirely different mother. She walked away from God. She blamed God. She walked away from friends. She blamed friends. She blamed my dad. She felt truly alone. And my sister and I were just children, but we quickly had to become adults. We were often left to to take care of mom, to deal with like being fed, dealing with the house, school. Um, I remember one day I was a teenager and I had an after-school job working for a doctor. Um, I lived in Hendersonville in Tennessee then. And mom called me just wailing, crying that the septic tank was backed up into our house, into our bathtub, which FYI was actually not the most disgusting thing that ever happened to us. And so she's wailing, what is she going to do? And here I am, basically a kid. And I remember sitting on the steps outside of the office and I'm crying, what am I going to do? Now on a side note, here's what happened. Sometimes people come along in our lives and they have an impact that they will probably never know the degree to which they helped you in your life. And that was my doctor, Dr. Raymond Wesley there in Hendersonville, Tennessee. He came over to my house. He brought a friend. He dug up my septic tank, cleaned it out, and fixed it. The gratitude to that man will never go away. But that's how we lived. We lived not being able to take care of things. We lived in fear of the world. Um, According to mom, it was her and my sister and me, and it was us against the world. Dad didn't love us. The world isn't safe. And according to mom, she was the only person who cared about us. So that was the world. She called my dad either, some of you who have been through maybe a bitter divorce or maybe your parents have, you've probably heard this before. She would call my dad either that man or your father. Her anger grew and grew. She hated him. That anger became unforgiveness and unforgiveness became bitterness. And as I decided to, to do this with you today, I wanted to make sure that you understood the difference. I've read a lot. Of course, I've had a lot of therapy. But there were a few descriptions of anger and bitterness that really stood out to me. So I just want to kind of go through those real quick. One of them comes from a woman named Melissa Wilson. And she has a website called, called Grass Gets Greener. And she writes blogs. I will put her information in the show notes. And here's what she says, and I'm quoting, about anger and bitterness. Anger is about present hurt. Bitterness is about past hurt. When we feel angry, it's because of something that just happened. You can go from not feeling angry to feeling angry with the flip of a switch. Bitterness leads to resentment and holding a grudge. So anger, 
in the moment. Bitterness comes from holding on to that. A couple of other things. Um, a man named Gregory Popchak, who's a pastoral, um, he's a licensed counselor. I'll put his information as well. And I love his quote. Bitterness is unforgiveness fermented. Beautiful picture. And then finally, the last thing is from a blog by Dr. Stephen Diamond, again in the show notes, um, on Psychology Today website. And I like the description that he has of anger and bitterness. He describes bitterness as a, quote, a chronic and pervasive state of smoldering resentment. And he deservedly regards it as one of the most destructive and toxic of human emotions. So do you see the difference there? You get angry about something in the moment. If you don't forgive, then it becomes bitterness, which is holding on to it, resenting and holding grudges. And I'm telling you, it leads to mental problems, physical problems, the whole package. And it was toxic to my mom. It affected my sister. It affected me. I remember years ago, I stumbled across a book. I was in a bookstore. It was called Emotional Incest. And I was like, ooh, sounds gross, but what is this? I picked it up. I skimmed through it, but I did not have to buy it because I knew immediately that is what we had experienced. My mom, she never dated. Well, she went out on one date, and she used to tell the story all the time that this man tried to kiss her, and she was disgusted, so that was the end. So, of course, she never remarried. And so when my dad left, my sister and I became her sole, sole source of everything, right? I mean, she would tell us bad things that happened in their marriage. She would tell us good things. When she told us the bad things, we would comfort her. She would tell us it was just the three of us against the world and that the world wasn't safe. And we would reassure her that we would be by her side, right? We would be always be there for her. And the guilt, the, oh, you're going to see your father. How could you do this to me? Guilt, 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 guilt. I didn't realize it at the time, but this was the beginning of my anxiety because unfortunately her anger, unforgiveness, bitterness, fear became mine. You heard it in the medical records. I became afraid of the world. I became mad at the world, but there came a point separate times for both of us, for mommy and me when our lives changed. So let's start with my anger and my unforgiveness. Years ago when things were really bad, okay, and I was an adult this time, married kids, I was venting to a friend how bad my mom was, how she made my life miserable, how terrible she treated my sister and me. And my friend just calmly replied, well, she's your mother, so you should probably find a way to fix that. Oh, I was so angry. I thought, I mean, I didn't say this. I might have said it it a little bit, but I thought, you have no idea what I've gone through. You have no idea what she's done to us. You have no idea what life was like growing up. And although that may have been true, she probably didn't have any idea. I couldn't process it any other way. I couldn't process my life at that time any other way. The guilt, the the manipulation. She made us her partners when we were too young. She made us her confidants, expected us to take care of her and her life's problems. So I spent a good part of my life pretty angry. Her health, okay, during this time also started to decline and she was young. She was even in her 40s. She had her heart attack in in her 50s. But because of her total lack of self-care and smoking, she became very obese. She developed type 2 diabetes, heart problems. And then in 1999, she had a heart attack. 
And one day while she was in the hospital, my sister called and said, hey, mom's gas got cut off. So I'm going to run over to clean up her house because when they come back in to light the pilot, I know they'll, they'll call the health department. So I said, well, okay, I'd meet her there. I don't know why I hadn't been to her house in a while, but oh my gosh, the first thing I saw when I walked in was this blanket and it was covering this mound of something and I thought, well, maybe it's laundry. We pulled it off and it was not laundry. It was a two-foot pile of trash. Paper plates, fast food bags, microwave dinner containers, drink cans. There was more, but I'll totally spare you. It was so awful and at the time... There was not one single part of me that felt bad for her because we we grew up this way. Maybe not that bad. It got worse because this was for her because this was the first time she'd ever lived alone. My sister and I had my sister and her had lived together almost their entire adult lives. So at this point she was alone and there was no one to take care or clean up after her, no one to take care of her cat, no one to take out the trash. And so none of that got done. Now, Tina and I, my sister we really didn't think it could, any, could get any worse. But surprise, it did. Um, in 2012, we actually had her admitted to a geriatric psych, psych unit at a local hospital. She was back living with my sister at this point, and it just got ugly. She would throw things. She would cuss. She would scream. Just all these terrible things. So we were like, there has to be something more than depression. You have to help us. Well, she was in there for about a week. And when the the psychiatrist finally talked with us, and I'm going to use a cuss word, but I'm quoting him. He said, I'm sorry, but she's really suffering with nothing more than you can't get your shit together syndrome. (sighs) What? How could this possibly be? How could depression lead to such crazy chaotic behaviors? But it did. So finally, when Tina couldn't take it anymore, which she shouldn't, we moved her into an apartment and again oh my um, I took some pictures and I'll, I'll put these in the show notes as well we collected like three 30 gallon trash bags full of cans uh, she had been living in a bedroom sort of in the side of my sister's house we threw away the mattress the linens the blankets the clothes everything it was so bad her anger and her bitterness got worse when we moved her into this apartment she always had this habit of calling us five to ten times a day but now the conversations and the messages were so hard especially for my sister there would be times when she would call her 20 times a day and she would be angry and when she would spew out the guilt-laden things like well I guess I'll just sit here by myself and die it got really ugly but things were changing I felt it in me and if I had to pinpoint a time when my attitude changed, it was, it was here. I knew as I moved her in, because she was about 40 minutes from my house, and I had to take her to the store. I had to take her to the doctor. I had to bring her food. I had to do all those things. So I knew it was time. I had to make a decision about how I was going to deal with my mom. What I would do for her and what I would not do. What I would let bother me and what I would not. Which behaviors I could dismiss and which had to be dealt with. I I had to get to a place where I let some kind of sympathy surface from my hardened heart. Her health was declining. Things were getting bad. And, And I needed to look at my life as a professed Christian and what that meant to me. And that meant honor your mother. 
take care of her as best I could, even if that meant that it was people in this this senior apartment high-rise where she was leaving, living, even if it meant they helped. I was responsible to at least take care of her as best I could. I needed to speak to her in a respectful way. Things were changing and I needed to change with them. And I, and I also had a deeper epiphany. And it was this. As an adult, up until this point, I had never taken time to truly contemplate her pain. Some pain, by the way, I don't feel like I should share, at least not now. It was deep pain. Now, as a child, of course, and even part of my early adult years, I wasn't able to do that. And I want you to remember that too. As a child and as a young adult, you're not emotionally, or you might not be as a young adult, but as a child for sure, you're not emotionally or mentally mature enough. You're not equipped enough to process and move past your pain. But as adults, we are. Minus mental illness and things. Look, I'm just saying for, you know, for, a, for an average adult, most of us are equipped to do that. And, and I've taken time over the years to think about her unrealized dreams, her pain, her struggles. I've prayed, I've read, I've tried. And I also remember the day when my decision to change was, I don't know, solidified maybe. So we had just moved her from this apartment complex to an assisted living facility called Richland Place in Portland, Tennessee. She, oh, wonderful place. She, again, was not happy blaming us, refusing to be a part of life. But the reason we moved her there was at this point, she was showing signs of dementia and we needed her to be there. Well, shortly after she moved in, we got several phone calls from the nurses saying that she was having, like she had a nosebleed. Um, She even had to go to the ER a couple times because she was having these regular nosebleeds. Well, it turns out that it was because she was inadvertently not to be gross, but she was picking her nose. Okay, not like a toddler, but she would feel something, a scab or whatever, and she would just pick at it. But of course, when we asked her about it, I am not picking my nose. There must be something else wrong. So on one particularly bad episode, they admitted her into the hospital after losing too much blood. Can you believe that? I know it's crazy. I went to visit her, and this was the story that really deeply affected my attitude towards my mom, toward my anger, my, um, yes, bitterness. I walked in and she was sitting on the side of the bed, kind of rocking. Her nose was packed. And if you've ever had a packed nose, I haven't, but I've seen it. You know, it's a very scary thing. They pack, they shove gauze as far up as they can. You're You're having to breathe through your mouth. I sat down beside her and the nurse came in. Now, remember, mom is, is dealing with early dementia here, and she's scared. So she reaches up. I'm sure she did it a million times. What's in my nose? She reaches up to touch it. And the nurse says to my mom, scolding in a loud voice, Now, Miss Judy, I told you not to touch that. My mom leaned over. She put her head on my shoulder, and she cried. I rubbed her head, and she was so scared. And right then, right there... I realized I never wanted her to feel that way again, and especially due to anything that I said or did to her. It changed me even more. Was she still angry and bitter at that point? Yes. Did she still blame me and my sister for putting her there? Yes. Did she still hate my father? Yes. But I forgave her in that moment like I think I'd never forgiven her before for past hurts. 
I truly believe for the first time, I believed in that moment that she did the best that she could during her life. I looked at her differently and I treated her differently. Did it mean I never got angry with her again? No. Remember, anger is present hurt. It happens. But the resentment, the unforgiveness over past hurts, forgiven. And that's what God did for me and that's what I'm required to do for her. So that changed me. What happened to change her? Now, I should tell you, I had been praying for my mother for 40 years. 40 years. Two things happened. Relationships and dementia. Let's talk about relationships first. It was 2014 when we moved her into Richland Place, and it was rough at first. You know, the, the anger, the bitterness, all that stuff. But the staff took control. They made her come down for lunch. Yes, she was mad. They made her come down for dinner. They went to her room, brought a wheelchair, and brought her to bingo. They signed her up for events and made her get on that van and go out. Within weeks, weeks, she was changing. These relationships became a part of her life. These people were investing in her life, and she was changing. The second thing that happened was the dementia. This dementia was a blessing for a woman who was angry and fearful. She had been diagnosed with lung cancer. And other than all the things she was afraid and and bitter and angry about, she was afraid to die of cancer. It just was something that consumed her. So here she was diagnosed with cancer. But because of the dementia, when she would say, I have cancer, and I would say, oh, mom, it's just a little spot. It's fine. We're going to go get it looked at. Okay. It was such a blessing for that reason, but also because of the past hurts. She forgot what she was mad about. She forgot she was bitter. She forgot, sort of, that she hated my father. She forgot she was mad at my sister and me for putting her there. She started loving things again. She started making us laugh. She began laying out her clothes every day for the next day, wearing jewelry, putting on makeup. Well, as you can imagine, it was kind of funny the way she put on her makeup, but still fixing her hair, sometimes fixing it like a little girl, but fixing her hair. We got our mom back at Richland Place in Portland, Tennessee, and the residents and the staff were all a part of that. My mom passed away on October 10th of 2016, and we had the service right there at Richland Place. And the residents and the staff, like right after she passed and the ambulance pulled away, and they came into our room and they cried and they, they told us stories of her love and her joy and her hugs and how happy she made them. Staff who heard that were off that day, they came in and they all told us how great she was to them and actually how the dementia was a blessing for them too because she would repeat things over and over but they were things like your hair's so pretty i love your necklace i like your shoes they told me she never had a frown she never complained she always had a smile she always had kind words and this was a woman filled with bitterness it's funny over the years tina and i would occasionally talk about what what's going to happen when mom passes Because in her younger years, she did have a period of time, apparently, when she was rather happy. And she had lots of friends and enjoyed that, but not so much later. Her bitterness put wedges in all of her friendships. So honestly, there was even a time when we might not have attended her service. I hate to say it, but it's true. The story about throwing the plate, like that was not the worst thing. But at the memorial, I looked out and I saw 50 to 60 people sitting in those chairs. And I just, 
I felt this wave of peace. Uh, after the service, one of the sweet Richland women, one of the staff, handed a box, one to my sister and one to me, and they had butterflies on them. And she said that the staff had all written us notes, and I was so touched by that. There were 11 notes, and I have read them again and again and again since then. I posted them a couple of years ago, but I'll put some in the show notes for you to see. Because I, I prayed for my mom for years. you know. And as a Christian woman, what I should say is, I always knew she would be healed. But that's not true. There were days when I believed she would be bitter and unhappy to her grave. God works in mysterious ways for sure, but he works. That's the point when my mom's life changed. So if I put this into some usable lessons, what would they be? For me, it was years of of prayer and study and therapy and loads of practice. But I'm going to give you four things that I think will help you as you walk away from my mom's story. Here they are. Number one, be acutely aware of the origins of an anger episode. The guy on the motorcycle, he wasn't angry at me. I mean, his reaction was way over the top. Something else had to be going on. And listen, I told you in one of my earlier episodes, I'm wired with some anger tendencies. Just last week, Charlie, my golden retriever, if you haven't heard me talk about him, he's in the kitchen. I trip over him. I actually had an over-the-top anger reaction. I wasn't mad at Charlie. So I had to be acutely aware of the origins of that anger. What's going on that made me react that way? And I figured it out and dealt with it. That's the first thing. Number two. Then, okay, you're aware of what's going on. You decide how long to hold on to it. Okay, is it going to simply be anger? Remember we said anger is in the moment. Or will it become unforgiveness? Will it become bitterness? And, And different episodes have different levels of how easy they are to let go. It's easier to let go of the anger that comes with a car cutting you off in traffic versus somebody breaking your heart. But it's still a decision. I don't mean to be just tough on us, but it's still a decision. And and there's a benefit, actually, if you think of it this way, to holding on to anger and turning into bitterness. And there's a risk of letting it go. Think about it. I'm going to admit this to you. With my mom, as long as I kept my bitterness about my mom and unforgiveness, what's the benefit? It made me right. It gave me the moral high ground. It gave me a crutch to lean on for things in my life, to account for my poor choices. The negativity bonded me to my friends. Okay, well, most of them. Maybe not that friend who set me straight, but negativity bonds us. There's a benefit. What about the risks of letting go? Well, if I let go, if I forgive her, if I let go of the bitterness, well, suddenly, I'm not necessarily right all the time. I lose my moral superiority. I have to admit that there was some validity to her pain. It changes my very life. That can be a risk. That's hard, but it's doable. Okay, so number two, number one is be acutely aware of the origins of of the anger episode. Number two, decide how long to hold on to it. Will it just be anger? Will it become bitterness? Number three, keep a story close at hand that will help you keep moving. For me, it was the awesome nose picking story, but it could be a story about maybe what you're angry at. You can remember a time when you did the same thing. Maybe it's a story of some time when somebody let you off the hook. Find a story, commit it to memory, let it keep you grounded. And finally, my favorite one, number four, 
Don't wait for dementia to let go of past hurts. That's huge, y'all. I highly recommend Dr. Jill Bolt-Taylor's book, A Stroke of Insight. So let me tell you about her. She's a neuroscientist who had a stroke in 1996. And so she talks about, let me tell you first about the, the two hemispheres of the brain and the way she describes them, because you know the stroke happens in your brain. So the right hemisphere, she says, is a parallel processor, it, meaning everything at the same time. It, focus on, it focuses on the current moment. It uses pictures and kinesthetic movement. It is well connected to your senses and builds an understanding of what is happening in the moment. It connects us with the world around us. And so what I'm going to add is it's the side that will love people and things and enjoy the music and the flowers and the beauty. The left hemisphere, she says, acts as a serial processor. It thinks in a linear fashion and methodically. It looks at the past and the future. It picks through the details of the current time. It arranges and sorts and connects them to the events of the past and thoughts of the future. It thinks in language and words. It looks at us as individuals, isolating us from the world. I'm going to add, it's the side that will tell you your life stinks. That someone is wrong for doing XYZ. That you have every right to hold on to that hurt and how to do that hurt. Do you see the difference? So Jill had a stroke which disabled the left side of her brain. Okay, the part that tells us the stories about our world and puts things in methodical order. That's where she had the stroke. When she awoke, she was alive and the stroke was over. And she thought back to what she calls her moment of nirvana. She was only living on the right side of her brain and she felt connected to the world and that her spirit was larger than her body. This is the last thing I'm going to say that she says. She started to wish everyone could have that moment where their left brain switched off. Ah, her main point is you don't have to wait for a stroke to move more towards your right brain. And each time you practice a new behavior, it gets easier the next time you do it. Same thing with dementia. You don't have to wait for dementia to try to move past anger and unforgiveness practice moving past that anger and forgiving as often as you can. It really can and will change you and your life. Whew. That's our time for today. I know we went over. I thought we might. I hope that you will forgive me for that. I really hope that you learned something today about anger, unforgiveness, bitterness, the connection of this three, the story of mommy and me, and the four things that can help you as you move past that. You can find the show notes I mentioned and get information if you'd like for me to speak at your next event at TammyWest.com. The monthly $50 Amazon card giveaway will come from leaving a comment on the blog. So go there, visit there, share. Please allow your friends to be part of our world. And finally... Remembering our mental and emotional well-being long-term goal, I truly hope that you will renew your thoughts daily, adopt empowering language that prevents verbal harm to yourself and others, and make positive mental and emotional choices on a daily basis. And until next time, consider yourself a good